all right? And so be praying about that. Be, uh, if you can, if God would impress upon your heart um, to help towards that project. Um, but we would like to definitely help this family and especially help this missionary. And it will tie in in just a moment as we briefly review a little bit of what we've been studying about even cooperation, working together. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, everybody hang on. We're going to move very quickly. I do want to briefly review. It's going to be kind of like flying at 30,000 feet, and we're going to just kind of fly over, and we're going to give a quick review and then pick up uh, and finish up with just this this short little series that we've been going through in Mark chapter 2, Impacting People for Christ. I love this passage of Scripture. I love this story. We serve an awesome God, and we serve a miracle-working God. Notice in Mark 2, beginning in verse number 1, it says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And I love this. What was Jesus doing? He was preaching God's word to them. There's power in the word of God, and it changes people's lives. So he's preaching the word of God. Notice what happens. Four men, they arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I love this, he says, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now notice what happens in, in the, the crowd, a group of people. It said that some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. If you get nothing else out of this passage, let me emphasize this, that Jesus truly is God. Amen? And that he had the power and the authority to forgive sin, and he did it. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. May I remind you of something, that that is the core, uh, that is the core of Christianity. What is the foundation of Christianity? What makes Christianity different than many other religions and many other teachings is this, is that the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is God, that Jesus was more than just a good prophet, that Jesus was more than just a a good teacher, that Jesus was far more than that. Jesus truly was God in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us. That is the foundation of our Christian faith. Somebody say amen there. And he demonstrated it and he proved it. And here in this passage, Jesus uses this opportunity once again to demonstrate that he was truly 
God. He preached the word at this gathering. We're reminded that the word of God is quick, that the word of God is powerful, that the word of God is is alive and it transforms lives. And as Jesus was preaching the word, we see that there was this great throng of people. And there was a group of men trying to bring a man to Jesus. And they could not get there because of this crowd. What we've been studying in our experience in God and what we've been studying through this series for the last few weeks is this, is that God accomplishes His work through His people. God accomplishes His work through His people. And God is going to, in this account and in this story, use four men to bring this man to Jesus Christ. Now understand this, that without the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Amen? That we can only do it with God's help. We can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we cannot do it in our own abilities, in our own flesh. But at the same time, God does choose to use you and I for his honor and for his glory. And when we are being moved by the Spirit and God impresses upon us to do things, to, to be used by him... I believe there's some qualities that these men had and we've been been studying that these men had. There's a number of qualities that they had that impacted this man for Christ, that brought this man to Jesus. The first one we said was this, and it's all C's, okay? Because if you're a good preacher, a good pastor, you have to alliterate. It all has to be C's, all right? But they had conviction, amen? They were convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer and that Jesus Christ was the answer for this man's problem. Now, remember, as we read this passage, it says this, that after a few days, Jesus came back. If you were to look in Mark chapter 1, what you'll find is this, is that Jesus was in Capernaum. And when he was there, he was, you know, early in his ministry, he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a a sickness, of a fever, and he healed her. Once he healed her, word got out, and the Bible says that the city was filled with people and that Jesus performed many miracles, that he healed the sick, that he began to cast out many demons, and he began to deliver people, and he began to heal people. And then Jesus left to go to another area. And then he came back. And when he came back, Jesus goes back to Peter's house. And as he's preaching the word, once again, the house was so full that no one else could get in. Why were these men convinced that Jesus was the answer? I would propose to you that most likely that they had an encounter with Jesus. And that they were the ones who maybe had a demon cast out or they were the ones who were healed. And when they encountered Jesus, they they realized that when they met Jesus, that something happened, something changed. They had an encounter with Christ. And when you would have an encounter with Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? It's transformation. It is, you are a new creature in Christ. How many of you have ever experienced that? If you have, say amen, wave a hand. A number of weeks back, I mean, as I preached a number of weeks back over strongholds and how Jesus can give us the power and the victory in our lives, I had a number of people come up to me and say, that was me. That for many years, most of my life, I was addicted to whatever. And when I met Jesus, I tried every program, I tried all of these things, but when I met Jesus Christ, he gave me victory and he delivered me from all of that. When you meet Jesus... He changes everything. Amen. 
they were convinced. They were convinced, and they were so convinced that Jesus was the answer, they said, we will do whatever it is we need to do to get him the Christ. They had compassion. The Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. Matthew 9, 35, Matthew 14, 14, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 and 41, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion or love should motivate us. It should move us to action. And so they were moved with compassion. They had their own lives. They had their own families. They had their own struggles. They had their own needs. But they were moved with compassion for this man. And they saw his need. And they saw that this man was desperate. And that without Jesus, that this man was lost and without hope. And they said, we are so moved with compassion that we will do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. And they had chemistry. Or we could say this, they had cooperation. Because somewhere along the line, someone came up with a brilliant idea. Let's go up on the roof and cut a hole in the roof and lower this man down to Jesus. I'm sure there had to be at least one. There had to be at least one. I was like, that is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. That is a really bad idea. Or someone that came along the line and said, well, we've never done that before. Come on, right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but they decided that they would work together. There was cooperation. There was a cooperative effort. And so they worked together to make sure that they could get this man to Jesus. You know, it says that he was carried, the Bible says, by four men. You know, it would have been difficult for one person to do that task, let alone one person to do that task to get him up on top of the roof. And then once you get him on top of the roof, how do you lower the guy down through the roof? And how do you do that? What does that look like? And so they worked together. Today you heard a story, a testimony of a missionary who is on the other side of the world. I think the trip takes 35 hours or 36 hours. But yet... Do you understand that we can work together as a church body to help get the gospel literally into all the world? That it takes cooperation, missions, it's cooperation. <clears throat> Yesterday, <clears throat> we had a group of people come and work together, cooperating and working together and helping one another to serve the community, to serve people as they came in and to be a blessing to them. And some people were doing face painting. Can I tell you something? Not everyone can face paint. Trust me, you don't want me to face paint. You don't want me to be the face painter, okay? You just don't. You might not be able to be good at face painting, but someone else can face paint. And there was people who sat there for a couple hours painting faces. And some of you are like, Pastor Joe, you could, you could definitely need to use your face painted, you know? Cover that thing up a little, you know? Maybe paint some hair up there, you know? And some people were working bounce houses. Other people brought their horses and their ponies, but people working together. There's a trailer out there. And I've mentioned this before, but it's a cooperative of churches where churches pull their resources together. And as a church, we all pull our resources with other churches so that we can have a trailer like that that's used to take gospel 
into communities and to take activities and take things into a community to be a blessing and to serve people. You know, we have Samaritan's Purse and the shoe boxes, and those boxes will be sent out to the mission field. What is that? That is the idea of cooperation, all of us working together, striving together. We have another missionary with us, FCA. Wave your hand over there, Miss Megan. She's shy. But, you know, we, we work together with FCA and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, and reaching college students on campus. It's cooperation. There's another story in the Bible that's similar to this. I don't know if we have a picture of, of this, but there's, I'm reminded of Saul. Remember when Saul was going to be, they were looking to kill him? And the Bible says that the city is completely surrounded. There was... There was assassins at every single gate, and they were going to kill the Apostle Paul in his early ministry. And the Bible says that there was a group of men that said, hey, we have this idea. We're going to put you in a basket, Saul, and lower you over the city walls. And maybe Saul, who becomes Paul, says, I'll take my chances with the assassins, you know. (laughs) Between you and I, you want to know something? I am terrified of heights. I am so afraid of heights. I am terrified of heights. Once you get me up over about six feet or so, that's why I'm glad I'm short, by the way. Some of you people, I, I'd be nervous to be you. It'd be terrifying. You know, you're just so tall. But they came up with this idea that, hey, we're going to lower it. And, and me personally, I would have been, if, if I were Saul, I would have been like, ah, I'm afraid of heights. That's fine. You know, I'll take my chances with the dagger, you know. You know what I'm saying? But they lowered Saul down and they had the ropes and they lowered him down with the ropes in a basket to get him outside of the city so that he could go and do the work. We don't know their names. Someday we'll get an opportunity, I believe, in heaven to meet the men that lowered Saul down. But they worked together. They cooperated. And Paul, and they all worked together so that Saul could be, have the opportunity to continue the work that God had called him to do. You know, I think there's a kind of cool analogy, and that is this, that I believe as the church, as the body of Christ, there's times it's our responsibility to hold the ropes for the missionaries. Saul was that great missionary who went out and planted and preached and started church after church after church, and nearly three-fourths of the New Testament was written by a man by the name of Paul the Apostle. When you look at the letters to the churches, none of those letters ever would have been written if it wasn't for some men who were willing to hold the ropes. You see, not everyone is called to teach or preach, if you will. Not everyone has, you know, that calling. But can I tell you this? That every Christian can hold the ropes for a brother or sister in Christ. Amen? We can pray for them. The ropes of prayer. The ropes of encouragement. The ropes of giving. The ropes of of being a blessing. We can all do that. Not everyone is going to be a Saul. Does this make sense? Not everyone is going to be a Saul or a Paul, but can I tell you something? There never would have been a Saul or Paul if it wasn't for the men who held the ropes and were willing to lower him down so that he could get out and go do the work that God had called him to do. Cooperation. Even within the body, there are many, the Ephesians says, many different members. Not everyone is the head, but I can tell you this. Have you ever, like, broken a toe? Comes in really handy, let me tell you. A toe comes in handy. Not everyone's the head, not everyone's the hands. But can I tell you, every part of the body 
has importance and is important. Even when you stub a toe, you realize that thing is important and it's necessary. Amen. Well, you don't say that. You say other things when you stub your toe. And then later you go, you know, things we can't repeat in church. You know what I'm saying? Things you have to, you have to confess and ask God forgiveness for. And then once you, once you recover from that, you're like, I didn't realize how important this is. Paul says that we all have importance in the body of Christ. And so we work together. We strive together, working together. Now notice this. They had creativity. I think this is important. They had creativity. They were creative. By the way, we serve a God who is so creative. Amen. He is the author of creation, isn't he? Just look at the beauty. Look at everything that God has created. But these men, they they had to become creative. They had to find a way to get this man to Jesus. They had to think outside of the box. They, I guarantee, tried the front door. We'll talk about that in a moment. They tried a window. They tried ways to get in, but the crowd was there, and they could not get this man to Jesus. And so they had to become creative. And so they had to find way, a way to get this man to Jesus. And so they came up with this plan, this great plan of going on the roof, cutting a hole in the roof, and lowering him down. You say, how does this apply to us? I believe that as we are called to take the gospel into all the world, we have to be creative. One way, we heard about a medical missionary using her gifts, her talents, her abilities. You know, God called her to do this, and here she's a a home nurse, and she's a traveling nurse, and then God calls her, and she's in home health care. And now she takes that same gift, same talent, same ability, and now she's being used by God in Mozambique. Don't we serve an awesome God, by the way, amen, that you can do these things? But here's the thing, being creative, finding ways to get the gospel to people and getting people to Jesus. Be creative. What gifts, what talents, what abilities do you have? One thing about being creative means this, that you have to take risks. It means you take risks. It means sometimes you may fail in your attempt. You know, Thomas Edison was over 1,000 attempts before he successfully was able to create the light bulb for us. I don't know about you. I'm glad you didn't quit at 999. (laughs) Amen. And when they asked him, when interviewed, he said, they said, don't you feel like you failed? He said, I didn't fail. He said, I just found 999 ways. It didn't work. I was perfecting it. And so we must be creative. It means we take risks. Finding ways to bring people to Christ. That's why I love things like Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's why I love things like Samaritan's Purse and shoe boxes and Christmas boxes and finding ways to be creative to get the gospel to people who would maybe otherwise not have the opportunity. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's a really pretty good analogy, right? He says, you're a sheep going out among, you would think, what are we going to do? How can we do this as sheep among wolves? He says, so be shrewd as snakes, or some versions say be as wise as a snake or a serpent. And he says, but be as harmless as a dove. He says, as you go out and as you're called among sheep, among wolves, he says, I I believe what he's saying is be wise, be creative, you know, and and he says, be as 
Be as wise or as shrewd as a serpent. He says, but be harmless as a dove. He says, this is how you are to, to do the, the kingdom work. To use wisdom, to use discernment, to, 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 to find ways to bring people to Christ. Find ways to take Christ to them. Boy, I could get off on a whole side note here, but there's only one thing I'm more afraid of than heights, and that's snakes. I'm not a real snake fan, you know. There's weird people in this world that have snakes as pets, you know what I mean? God, God bless you folks, you know, like Satan was a serpent, you know. And the Bible says that the Lord's going to he crushed his head. Woo, I love that. Crushed the head of the serpent, amen. I did find one snake I like. It's a dead snake, amen. Ah, I don't like snakes. They creep me out. I lived in Tucson, Arizona. We had rattlesnakes and man. Those things are just sneaky, you know. They're just sneaky, and they know how to hide. And, you know, Jesus is saying, you know what? He's not necessarily don't be sneaky, don't cheapen the gospel. But what he's saying is use wisdom and discernment in how you present the gospel. You know, Jesus used parables. Jesus used stories and parables, and Jesus was creative in his ministry work. And Jesus obviously performed miracles, and he helped people. But Jesus was, was doing that in his work. And as we are called to take the gospel, many times we say, well, this is the only way it can be done. But can I say to you that I believe that God is a God of creativity. And I think that we could look at these men and say, you know what? They were creative. And they found a way to get this man to Jesus. And I think that that is so important and so necessary, especially in this generation now. Some people might say, well, technology is evil and technology is wrong. But can I say this? You know what? If that's where they're at, then let's get the gospel there. Whether it's if it's on a Snapchat or if it's on a TikTok, 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 whatever it is, you know, get the gospel out there. Somebody say amen. Be creative. Be creative. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice what he says, verse 19 through 23. Paul was the same way. He says this. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, he says, I have become a slave to all people to bring many people to Christ. He says, when I was with the Jews, notice what he did. He said, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though, he says, even though under new covenant, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, even though I'm not subject to the law, I do this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. And when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law and all the Jewish traditions, he says, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. Notice what he says, doing what? Everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. 
And so Paul says, I become all things to all men. If I'm with a, a Jewish person, I respect the, the, their ways. I respect them. And I'll, I do it out of respect and out of love and compassion. If I'm with someone who's a Gentile and they don't follow those laws, then I, I, I'm respectful to them. I make sure that I, I follow the laws of Christ. I don't do anything sinful. He says, but you know what? By any means necessary, I'm going to do whatever it takes by everything within my power to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can I say this to you? We are called to do the same Amen. And so Paul says, be creative. Become all things to all men. Do whatever it is that you can, humanly speaking, within your power to find a way to bring people to Christ. Why? Because Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer. I finish with just a few moments. I'm going to finish with this thought. In this passage, in this passage of scripture, I see two groups of people. You ready? I see helpers. That's the four men. And I see hinderers. We don't really think about this, but there were those who were hindering this man from coming to Jesus. Can you use your imagination with me just a little bit? Can you do that? Just give me a couple moments. There were helpers, there were hinderers. Obviously, the helpers were the four men who were doing everything in their power to bring this man to Jesus. But then there were many people who stood in the way of this man coming to Christ. You can't tell me that people didn't see that there was a paralyzed man that needed Don't you think it was pretty obvious? How many think it was pretty obvious? They're carrying this guy in a stretcher. I can guarantee you that most likely their first attempts were to try to, at the doorway, say, excuse us, we're trying to get this man to Jesus. That's my seat. That's my spot. Come on now. We're trying to listen. We're trying to hear what Jesus has to say. And so they were hindering this man from coming to Christ. Maybe not even maliciously or intentionally, but they were. Look at one last passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 8. He says this, and I want to ask this question to you. You ready? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Church? Yes, amen. Any comfort from his love? Amen, yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yeah, yes. He says this to this church. He says, are your hearts tender? Notice what's the next word? Compassionate. Do you have compassion? Mm -hmm. He says, Paul says, they make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. That's cooperation with each other, loving one another. Notice this, working together. He mentions compassion. He mentions cooperation, working together with one mind and purpose. Notice what he says. He says to this church, don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Ready for this? Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Then later it says that God exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Amen. And he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But Paul says to the church, he says, hey, look out for before yourselves. Don't be selfish. Don't, don't, don't have your own less necessary ambitions, but make sure you're looking out for others. You see, when we think about this passage and we think about this story, there was a man who desperately needed Jesus. He, yes, he needed his, to be healed, but more importantly, it was his soul. He needed to be forgiven of sin. And they were trying to get this man to Jesus. In their attempt to get this man to Jesus, there were those who were standing in the way. They were hindering. And it's sad that they had no compassion. No compassion to say, hey, let's clear a path. Hey, let's move. Let's get this man to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. But instead, selfishly, they were more concerned about their own desires, their own needs. And so they were hindering him. Numerous times in the Gospels, Jesus says this, don't be a stumbling block or a tripping stone. Don't cause others to stumble. Or don't, if you will, trip up others who are trying to come to Jesus. Let me just give you one example or illustration and I'm finished. When I was pastoring in Missouri, I've been there maybe a year or so, and I was out in this one community and was just out inviting people to church and leaving some church information. And sometimes God just puts people on your heart, just burns you. And there was a young man out there. Remember, it was in the fall. It was cold right before winter. There's like this 12, 13-year-old young man, and he's out there splitting wood. Now, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and that's where my dad used to say, you're getting paid to work out. You get to do this for free. You get to heat your house. And my dad would make me split wood and haul wood. And I saw this young man, I'm like, that reminded me of me. Like, man, I, I remember doing this. And I was like, man, this kid's out here splitting this wood. And so I just stopped by, and I said, hey, my, my name's Pastor Joe, and I'm from this church. Started talking a little bit, and he goes, basically he said, you know what, our family, we moved here. We have not been in church in, for years. We moved here when I was a little boy. We haven't been in church. He said, let me introduce you to my mom. They talked a little bit about possibly going to church. So anyway, meet his mom. But I was just burdened for this family, burdened for this young man. And uh, met mom, and, and she's like, yeah, it's been it's been forever. We moved to this new community. We have not been in church. The kids have not been in church. And I, I'm trying to get my husband to come to church, but he's just stubborn and he doesn't want to come to church. Like typical man, you know what I mean? You know? Come on now. <laughs> a lot of times that's what happens. Football and everything else, you know, whatever. And I thought, well, I'm going to take this address down. I'm going to pray for this family and keep after him. So I went back another time. 
you know, weeks went by, went back another time. And God just would not, didn't do that. I wasn't this type of person with everybody, but God put this family on my heart. Went back a second time, and this time I thought, I'm going to meet, meet dad and meet the family. So I met him, and he's like, yeah, you're right. We really, you know, we, we need to get, you know, back in, we need, you know, we need to, and, and I said, okay, awesome, pleasure to meet you. I went home, and I actually sat down and wrote a note and a letter and said, I'm praying for you, and for some reason, God just put your family in my heart. I'm going to be praying for you. If you need anything, send it to them. About a month or so goes by again. A third time, I go back, go back to, <clears throat> and say to him, hey, you know, you keep promising. Are you a man of your word? You know, like I started calling the guy and goes, I'm a man of my word, you know, and it was in a fun way. <clears throat> and by the way, I'm a Joe. His name is Joe. And so Joe says, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, you're going to see us. One of these days, you're going to see us. You know, I promise I'm a man of my word. And I said, okay. A couple weeks later, he comes to church. Him and at that time, four children. And they're kind of moving and scrooching and moving around and, you know, making a little bit of noise. And, you know, it's like no big deal. But I saw one of the guys in their church. His name was Wayne. Wayne was not happy. He's, he's just like scowling making noises and the kids and, and uh, you know, you could just see he wasn't happy. And so the next week, we went and followed up and, hey, good to have you. And on that, through conversation, I realized these people are lost. They do not know Christ. They are, they're, they do not know Christ. And so they come back the next week, four kids, and the little boys have like little race cars. And, you know, remember the old wooden pews, the loud wooden pews, you know? They would drop one and clang. And I'm up there teaching and preaching. And this guy, he's upset. And he's getting mad. And he's giving them dirty looks. And he's, and Wayne's just, and after church, he says, Pastor Joe, I need to talk to you. I need to speak to you. And I knew he was not happy. He says, can I speak to you? This is some important stuff. This is serious stuff. I said, absolutely. Now, he was up in his years, my elder, and I was just a young pastor. I'm 25 maybe or something like that, you know. So I go to my office. He says, you need to do something about this. You need to stop this. You need to tell them they are a distraction. I'm trying to listen. And he just let me have it. And I just listened for a little bit. And I said, Wayne, I said, I love you, brother. I said, but do you know anything about this family? They said, do you know how many times we've been to their home to try to get this family to church? Do you know that this family does not know Jesus Christ? Do you know that if they die without Christ, that they will enter into eternity without Jesus Christ? I said, do you realize that there's a wife and four children that do not know Jesus? And I said, how long have you been a believer? How long have you been a Christian? Well, well over 40 years, Pastor. I'm like, don't you think you know most of the, should know most of the Bible by now? Don't you think you should know a lot of it? How much are you really missing? You know, like, and I said to him, I said, and this was as kind as I could. I said, brother, you are being selfish. I said, I have a better idea. I said, instead of trying to hinder what God's trying to do in this family's life, next week when they come into church, why don't you offer to sit with them? Why don't you bring them a coloring book or a pen or a crayon or do something and sit down and help this poor family who has four rambunctious kids who've never been in church hardly a day in their life 
And they're going crazy. And yes, they're a distraction. And why don't you say, it's okay. We love you. We want to be a blessing to you. And quit being so selfish and think about their souls for a few moments. Pastor, forgive me. I said, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you be a help to them? Why don't you be a blessing to them? Wayne Penny said, Pastor Joe, please forgive me. I was selfish, and I do not want to stand before God to be the person who ran those people away. Next week, he gets up there, and he says, you can call me Grandpa Wayne. I'm not making this up. He says, we're going to be family from here on out. Folks, listen, I can bring that family to this church today. I'll tell you the rest of the story, but here's the thing. Brings coloring books and crayons and food, and he'd bring little snacks or something. He'd sit there. He'd sit between, like, the two most rambunctious boys. (laughs) The oldest boy was Thad. He was pretty good and respectful, but then he had this other one. His name was Joe. He was Joseph Jr. He was a Joe. He was awful. (laughs) And then there was another one, and he was crawling all over the place, and he would sit in between, and he said, you can just call me Grandpa Wayne. Very long story short, it wasn't long. After a few months of them coming to church, I remember going into their home and sharing the gospel and the wife kneeling down and praying and accepting Jesus Christ as her Savior. Within 30 minutes, her husband, Joe, Joseph, he knelt and accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. I remember a short time later, a few months later, Thad, that boy that God placed upon my heart, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And then later, uh, Joseph accepted his Christ as Savior. And one night, we were doing men's basketball, and they pulled into the parking lot, and Joe says, hey, my daughter, her name's Elizabeth, you know, she, God's working her heart, can you come talk to her for a few minutes? I went out, and right out there in the parking lot, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And then later, uh, my wife will help me with all the names, but every single one. Later, they had two more kids. Before long, they had six kids. Every single one of them accepted Christ as their Savior. They became best of friends. His wife was very sick and had lots of needs. You know what happened? That family, that family, Joe and his wife Chris and that family, adopted them, and they would take them meals every week and go and clean their house. And they basically said, we're going to take care of you. We're here for you. And it was such a beautiful thing. But beyond that, then those kids started to grow up. And then that young man married one of the girls in our church, and he was our sound guy in our church for years, still, still does it. Then that little girl, she met a boyfriend and starts bringing that boyfriend to church and he accepts Christ and he gets baptized and now they're married. And by the way, now you have at least three families right now living for God all because someone, all because someone finally said, I'm going to get over my selfishness and I'm going to look out for the needs of someone else. Are we helping the gospel or are we hindering the gospel? You see in this passage, there were helpers and hinders. Let's be helpers. Let's impact people for Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray.